Welcome to Digital Detectives, reports from the battlefront. We'll discuss computer forensics, electronic discovery, and information security issues and what's really happening in the trenches. Not theory, but practical information that you can use in your law practice, right here on the Legal Talk Network. Welcome to the 18th edition of Digital Detectives. We're glad to have you with us. I'm Sharon Nelson, president of Sensei Enterprises. We'd like to take this time to thank our sponsor, Gallivan, Gallivan, and Amelia, creators of the Digital War Room platform for e-discovery. And I'm John Simic, vice president of Sensei Enterprises. Today on Digital Detectives, our topic is the future of e-discovery. We're pleased to welcome as our guest, John Monroe, the vice president and managing director of Orange Legal Technologies. John was on the faculty with us at the 2011 Intermountain e-discovery conference, and we really enjoyed his thoughts on e-discovery. So we felt this topic was perfect for him. Thanks for joining us, John. Thank you for having me. Uh, it seems clear that the National Weatherman was obviously not available because he was probably making incorrect uh, assessments about what might happen tomorrow. Um, therefore, you had to bring in somebody like me to uh, try to define what's going to happen in the next 300 days uh, of, of e-discovery, <laughs> which we know is uh, a tumultuous area. So I appreciate you having me. I think like the Weatherman, though, John, I, I don't think your job is in jeopardy. <laughs> love it, love it. it. It's only in Russia that you get fired for a bad forecast. <laughs> <laughs> we'll just call it tumultuous. I, I looked up tumultuous the other day, and I was surprised by the definition of uh, involving great excitement, confusion, and emotional uh, agitation, which uh, clearly <laughs> defines e-discovery and, and uh, probably some of the topics we'll discuss today. <laughs> I, I love it. That's, that's absolutely the truth. And let's start with one of the most tumultuous uh, topics we've had this year. This has been the year largely of predictive coding. Uh, something that people hadn't heard about at all a couple of years ago. And I recently read an article in the ABA Journal on predictive coding. And, of course, Judge Peck has appeared to bless it as a technology. Uh, it's still in its infancy, John, but where do you see it going in the future? You know, I have to start by saying that, that although I'm, I'm not completely innocent party in this, um, that I think that predictive coding probably is in the same light as ECA has been in the last couple of years. Um, I was recently reminded of an article uh, just after Legal Tech New York last year where uh, one of the writers had said how grateful he was to not see ECA overused uh, last year at, at Legal Tech New York. And, <laughs> and I really that sort of, I think, takes us into um, where we are with predictive coding. Um, everybody appears to have a different definition of what it is. Um, and and we know any time that it's sort of a buzzword comes in the industry that um, people are excited to use it as frequently as possible and to to really um, see if they can uh, you know make the most of it and especially vendors we we grab onto it and say okay how does solution fit what people are asking for and what people appear to be talking about um, so uh, you know I, I think that it's it's uh, hopefully not going down the same rabbit hole of ECA but I, I think that we're actually looking that way. Um, you know, as as defining predictive coding, in, in in my mind, I think that the more loosely you define um, things like predictive coding, that they, they actually the better off you are. And and why I say that is, you know, if you get into a specific definition of something, uh, first of all, everybody's going to to screw up that definition. We know by playing telephone that that uh, you know, as the definition goes from person to person or from um, you know pundit to pundit, uh, that that it gets adjusted or changed just a little bit, and so we're never going to have a clear definition. But with that said, you know, um, in defining predictive coding, um, and since you mentioned Judge Peck, uh, he defines predictive coding as being a process where a senior lawyer, um, basically using sort of a random random sampling or pre-filtered set of documents, decides whether documents are responsive or not responsive. 
either then go through that process several times and that senior attorney or, or pupil in that uh, e-discovery team will, will then make some conclusions on the records. Software then takes those conclusions and tries to apply that to a larger subset of documents. So, you know, we know that, that predictive coding can sort of uh, adjust itself as, as used, but I think that, that I really like um, how that definition is because that's effectively what we've been doing for years um, in the e-discovery industry is attempting to take things that a human can do and repeat them in an as automated a process of, as possible um, and, and try to make it so, you know, to the extent automation is possible that we can apply. Sometimes we're not applying it to entire data sets or, you know, hundreds of gigs of, of data, but um, applying it to, to subsets of data. Sometimes that might be particular file types. Sometimes that might be um, particular types of documents that we're looking through, uh, you know, uh, emails or, or things like that. And so it really, I think, does not does not sway so far away from what has been happening over the, the last 10 years in, in e-discovery um, because we've always been, been attempting to, to make it so we can um, do this process more efficiently. And, and Judge Beck, one of the things that he said uh, even further that I liked is the idea is that lawyers do not spend their clients' money reviewing irrelevant or uh, you know, low-rated documents. Well, not just their money, but but any lawyer that's worth their salt doesn't want to spend their time trying to deal with the irrelevant and and uh, muddle through that process uh, while just trying to to identify and work with the merits of their case. Well, one of the things the the ABA Journal suggested is that predictive coding would mean the end of contract document review lawyers. What do you think about that? <laughs> the basically, basically take the human being out. Is that kind of where it's going? <laughs> Yeah, of course. Well, well, all, many of us uh, either read about it or, or watched Watson the computer win Jeopardy. Um, you know, I, I think we're a long ways away from um, from that process. And, and and frankly, right now, that technology just really does not exist. That is going to fully remove the the folks who need to make the educated decisions. Um, you know, I, I think that sort of as we look at the you know, computer operations that are that are possible to. Um, you know, sort of surpass what a human is capable of. Those are, you know, continued um, similar decisions. And, and and again, we have to remember that computers are very dumb. They're just not uh, like we are in being able to make uh, decisions on the fly to be able to take inputs to a, to a degree. And I know I'll get some flack from some of my uh, brilliant uh, uh, automation friends that, that really do some fantastic work in some of these areas. But, um, you know, that... That, that really the computer just cannot surpass what, you know, an individual can look at uh, three particular documents and say, well, two of these are exactly similar, but this one, it, it looks similar on its face, it uses similar words, similar concepts, but it's totally uh, non-relevant to the, this case or uh, irrelevant altogether. So you just can't get past what humans can do with that. Um, on that same line, of course, uh, when we're talking about the contract reviewer, you know, uh, traditionally, what are those groups made up of? They're made up of first or second year attorneys who don't necessarily have a ton of practice experience. They're very green coming out of law school. Um, and, and that's, you know, probably a gross generalization, but a lot of times that's what the contract review teams uh, have been historically. Um, and, and so when you, when you look at that individual, is that individual really going to understand the issues that are being uh, expressed by the senior your counsels on the case or, or senior you know project managers that are dealing with these cases internally um, in order to make effective decisions so that's really sort of the argument that I think we see a lot in um, you know defining predictive coding and, and provide uh, defining how it's going to work um, I also like um, you know that 
sort of what, what Judge Peck had to say about predictive coding when he said that it, it works sort of like a breathalyzer. We all know the breathalyzers work. However, if they're not calibrated uh, properly and if the officer doesn't use them appropriately, they're going to provide inaccurate results and, and, and for that matter, non-defensible results. And really that's what we're going back to is, is defensibility of process. Can the process that you're applying to, um, you know, the, the records that you're reviewing and, and the data set that you're reviewing, um, can it be defensible? Is, is it a process that you can go up to a judge and have them, um, you know, not, not, uh, uh, a sanction you, and B, you know, not feel like you're just sort of throwing darts at a at a large dartboard and saying, oh well, you know, three of my darts happen to land over in this area. It must be something that's that's generally relevant. Well, I'm I'm really happy to hear that the summary of your your answer there is human beings one, Watson zero. Being a member <laughs> of the human Watson race zero. myself, Maybe it's Watson it's... one half. <laughs> oh, okay, okay, one half. <laughs> Um, how do you, how do, you do that in binary? <laughs> yeah, well, I'll tell you quickly. You know, and that's actually, that's a, that's a really good point is, you know, a lot of times we get those questions of, of you know, how do you do this process? Um, you know, I think that the industry overall, and, and we'll talk about this probably a little bit later uh, as I, as I uh, maybe close, but, um, you know, I think the industry overall really is seeing some significant changes. You know, we seem to see some price decreases, but what we also see is, I think, increased use of experts, and, and John, I'm sure, is... Is and you, Sharon, are, are pulled into this uh, daily, um, as is our team. But you know, really, uh, attorneys realizing and having the realization that there is value in bringing in uh, the folks who understand both the legal and IT, uh, you know, requirements and ramifications of, of what they're dealing with, and that that seems to be luckily becoming more consistent. That we're seeing a lot more of that, um, where attorneys really are understanding. Okay. You know, how can we actually muddle through this process? Well, there's there's some pretty defensible ways that you can muddle through this process. Talk to an expert and you'll find out how. So, Well, one of the things there's been a lot of, of buzz about recently is whether we need to amend the federal rules of civil procedure again. And there's some news uh, about that today as they're meeting to discuss this um, to address particularly the scope of preservation and sanctions. So last month we interviewed Ralph Losey, who has actually done a flip-flop on this because first he thought, nah, we don't need to amend these rules. And now he's thinking maybe we do. What are your thoughts? <laughs> Well, you know, if you think about somebody like Ralph, who's who's uh, in the industry and in many different areas, has you know great access to to judiciary as well as you know um, other attorneys in the e-discovery space and and uh, other practitioners, you know, to see somebody like that flip flopping on that idea that uh, shows you how again we're going to go back to my tumultuous word, how tumultuous of a of an industry we're actually working in right now, how many changes there are, and and. You know why I say that is I, I I feel like you know as as John would know being a a uh, testifying witness in lots of cases you know things change daily uh, technology changes daily um, technology and the unique challenges that come from that are uh, that actual use are changing daily so you know to say that that uh, you know the judiciary and and uh, you know the, the the rule makers are are going to be able to navigate that process and and make the rules both broad enough and narrow enough to, um, you know, create some uh, more of a seamless process. Um, I, I think that we're getting overexcited about something that, that um, you know, isn't going to, to by any means be a cure-all. And, and I don't think probably that that's what Ralph is thinking and saying that they do now need to be um, updated. Uh, and I'd like to see some updates. But with that said, you know, that that's a significant challenge. How do you um, broaden the scope to ensure that, that the relevant discovery is always brought in and is always dealt with um, while still narrowing the scope enough to ensure that that 
the 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 records and the documents that that are being uh, both preserved and uh, and collected appropriately um, is is that which you know allows for a, a good set of discovery documents and um, you know I, I, I it, it frequently just blows me away when when you know we see the federal rules but then also we see the sanctions that are coming down are are corporations and law firms not learning from these sanctions is that almost not you know it's it's a painful tool for the people who are getting sanctioned if they feel like they didn't know better or they 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 didn't have guidelines uh, with which to make effective decisions but generally it appears that in these situations there there are significant spoliation uh, occurring or significant um you know uh, attorney violations that would Show that they are not holding up to their ethical obligations as an attorney um, to, you know, justly and accurately identify uh, what's happening. So, um, you know, I, I'd love to see some changes in the federal rules, but I, again, I don't necessarily think that's the answer. Just along the lines of predictive coding, are we going to see, you know, as Judge Peck uh, talked about, are we going to see? Uh, you know, the, the judicial panel actually come in and say, oh, this is fantastic technology, you know, it's approved for use, et cetera, et cetera. We're not. And that partly goes back to what I was uh, describing earlier of how different the definitions of predictive coding and what it actually accomplishes are. But in addition, um, it, you know, it, it goes back to how do they actually define that? How do they decide that this is an approved or appropriate process without then promoting that process and, and having that be the process that, that people say, well, this, this process has been approved, so we obviously can go, uh, go with that. We're not too far from the break, John. So let me um, let me ask quickly. Uh, for some time, the per gig price of e-discovery processing has been coming down, and some vendors are moving away from the per gigabyte pricing entirely. What do you see happening in this area in the future? Well, I think you used the wrong question for the right before the break, trying to cut me off quickly because I have a lot of opinions on this, but I'll try to keep them brief right up front. Um, so, you know, as with sort of the proliferation of uh, alternative billing methods that we've seen for, you know, counsel and, and attorneys over the past couple of years, uh, really, I think it's over the past two years, really, obvious similar pressures are, are continuing to be applied to the service providers in the e-discovery space. Um, as certain, you know, services and processes become more um, automated and increasingly automated and, and increasingly streamlined, you know, obviously the cost pressures are going to force, uh, you know, the, the per gig uh, unit rates and things like that down. Um, you know, I guess what the intersect is and, and what the problem that I still see when you talk about per gigabyte pricing models is, you know, we're still talking about that sort of transactional model of process this you know, scan this box, copy this page. Um, and, and obviously, as we know, e-discovery just does not apply in those, you know, in those realms as linearly as we would like it to. I, I don't know if I just made up a new word there. Linearly, <laughs> I think but you I did. Sort of like it. <laughs> but, you know, it, it doesn't apply as, as straight line as, as it, you know, it did with, okay, we have one piece of paper, you know, we can tell exactly what what we're going to be dealing with. It, it costs exactly this much to process. It made sense to have those those unit models. Now what we're talking about, though, is is really an effective change in it's super critical that, that people understand what the end goal is of the pricing. The end goal of the pricing should be to reduce the legal spend for the corporation, to reduce the legal spend for the litigant. And, and that's what's forgotten so often when we're talking about, you know, uh, per gigabyte pricing or other pricing models that, that uh, take that into account is, you know, you, you really need to work with an organization. And, and I've been very happy with our organization and how 
um, I guess, creative we have come, uh, become with pricing models. You know, we don't just provide you with, hey, here's your run pricing model. You pay this much per gig. You have five or six different options that will fit different cases, um, better or worse. And, you know, you, you have the opportunity as, as a litigant or, you know, as a corporation or law firm to decide, okay, what's going to fit our case best? Is it going to be to, you know, pay some sort of unit pricing or, or a, a timeline model? You know, you can have all the access you want for, you know, um, for your hosted data for for four months, and here's the the flat rate that you're going to pay. Does it make more sense to pay um, per reviewer? You're going to have 15 reviewers in, and it doesn't matter what data set you are using, or or if you're using analytics or review or anything like that. But really, to keep that in mind, that that you know, your vendor should be working with you on those areas. And and again, it's, it's a different way to slice the slice the orange. You know, you're you're you have this whole orange. That's the entire litigation process. You, you have to carve it up some way, whether you carve it up, you know, sideways with a little bit of, uh, you know, rind in, in each, you know, in each slice, or if you carve it up where it's really in the sections, so you have less rind in the middle of the slice, but it's around the outside of the slice, it really is the same thing that you're still, uh, you know, you're still cutting apart that same orange and still trying to identify how to dissect it best. I, I can't believe the, the image of an orange uh, occurred to you, John. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> go, go ahead and take us to break, John. I love it. Before we move on to our next segment, let's take a quick break with a few words from the Legal Talk Network and our sponsor, Gallivan, Gallivan, and Amelia, creators of the digital war room platform for e-discovery. Do you need to strategize, review and produce documents for litigation, government investigations, or HSR second requests in a single e-discovery tool for every size and every type of matter? Digital War Room eliminates costly pre-processing of collected documents, realizing savings of 80% or more, and giving you greater control over e-discovery. Experience end-to-end e-discovery on your Windows desktop, on your internal network, or in our hosted review center. Download a free trial of Digital War Room Pro at www.digitalwarroom.com. That's digitalwarroom.com. You can advertise with us at Legal Talk Network and have your own commercial play in this podcast. Just give us a call anytime at 781-551-9960 or shoot us an email at admin at legaltalknetwork.com. We're glad you're listening to Legal Talk Network. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn, too. Welcome back to Digital Detectives on the Legal Talk Network. Today, we're talking to John Monroe, an executive with Orange Legal Technologies, about the future of e-discovery. You know, John, there's been an interesting uh, increase in the the DIY e-discovery. I don't think we're going to see it on the cable channel yet, but what's, what's your take on all that? Well, I certainly hope we see it on the cable channel because uh, that's one of my favorite uh, construction uh, uh, channels is, is, of course, the DIY channel. Yep. <laughs> with that mine, said, mine too. <laughs> uh, with that said, I think, John, you and I, as as technologists at, at heart, are always going to be the people who want to be able to fly the airplane rather than just ride on the airplane. Now, there are some big jets that I don't think that I would quite be capable of flying and, and wouldn't want to take the risk. With that said, though, I, I think that it's really down to that process. Um, you know, when you talk about DIY e-discovery, what are the risks that you're dealing with? And again, as we as we talk about any of these processes associated with e-discovery, you know, really the consideration should be threefold. I think, what are the risks? What are the costs? And uh, what are the benefits? You know, how do you how do you weigh each of those? What are the risks of okay, I'm doing it myself. 
um, you know, I uh, potentially have, have a, you know, litigation support manager or, or paralegal in my firm that's actually going to go in and, and, you know, process this data and work through it effectively. Uh, how much risk am I actually taking on with that? What, what are the risks? You know, are there risks of, of not being able to be an unbiased party? Um, when you're dealing with e-discovery, okay, well, we process the data this way. Well, how do you know that that was an accurate, accurate defensible process? Um, so, so you just have to be careful when you take some of these things on to ensure that you're not running into, uh, you know, unnecessary challenges that might come with a, a, what I would say a, a few dollar cost savings sometimes. And and with that said, you know, you. you as you analyze and engage in a process, you really, again, and I think this, this just jumps off of my last uh, uh, answer, is that you, you really just need to consider the entire legal spend. Is this process that you're undertaking up front actually going to cost you more money or less money down the road? Um, sometimes when you do the DIY solutions, it's going to actually cost you more money because the review process then is going to be less efficient. So the, the client's going to end up paying money, more money. You're spending more time in the actual review portion where maybe a, a different solution that may have been, in, in fact, more expensive up front um, is going to give you a far better result in the long run and be able to uh, have a much more organized and structured um, case once you, once you sort of pull everything together. What do you think about law firms and corporations bringing e-discovery in-house? Is this a good idea, a bad idea, and do you think it's going to continue? You know, I think it jumps directly off of the last question of DIY e-discovery, and, and I don't want it to be to sound like I'm not saying that, that you know, a lot of corporations and law firms have fantastic e-discovery departments because they do. I've witnessed them. Um, we've, we've you know, uh, sort of partnered with them lots of times. We've been hired by them. And, and to me, it really excites me to work with people who know what they're doing. Um, you know, I know there's probably uh, folks out there that are opposite that say, well, we really want to people help the people who don't have any idea. You know, that's a, that's a challenging course to take because you're constantly educating your client. You should be constantly educating anyhow, but you're constantly educating them, and it can make it sometimes difficult to actually get into the process and, and, and get some headway on what you're trying to accomplish when you're having to spend so much time educating folks. So I'm always excited when we get in with a client that is uh, super knowledgeable about e-discovery, super knowledgeable about, about data creation and, and uh, you know, how data resides on typical corporate networks and, and you know, can really navigate that process because it, it makes it much more easy for us to, um, to, to really assist them in providing the best automated or, or, or best technology-centric solutions for, for those situations. And, and it really, you know, behooves everybody. With that said, I, I think uh, trying to put together a department that doesn't fit your needs or that you end up spending so much money on to, to keep on a continual basis, to keep the staff on hand, to keep the, the folks that you need and the technology that you need to make that effective, you know, that can be an increasing challenge. And, and typically that's why the vendor uh, service model has worked so well is you, you, you pay as you go, you pay as you use, um, you know, and, and that can really be a, a benefit for uh, the corporation and the law firm if you have somebody that specializes in it, that's doing it every day, but that you're not paying for every day, only when you use them. Well, we've touched on a lot of different things here today, John, but this, this is your moment. Make one prediction about the future that we haven't thought to ask about. <laughs> well, I, I'll, I'll break a couple, uh, break your rule of one prediction, but a couple of things. First of all, we, we talked just briefly about alternative billing methods. I think that's going to continue uh, uh, exponentially. But I, I think that we're also going to, going back to the, the sanctions around collections and preservation of data, I think that we're going to see much, much more um, 
uh, onus put on the corporations to to do this effectively, as if we're not seeing a lot with all the sanctions that are sort of coming down. But but continued onus for that um, and. Solutions. Uh, actually, we're really excited to uh, for for our uh, our soon um, released uh, new purple box, like we like to say with the colors orange uh, and purple, of course, uh, purple box. But what it actually does is goes into the corporation and allows you to reuse some of the work product that you are um, that you're creating every time you have a case. And, and we have we see so many continued. Um, litigants that, that um, really seem to never get themselves out of a position where they're not continually moving almost just from case to case before the, the, the cases end. Um, and so I think that you'll see continued um, uh, technology and solutions and services that are built around uh, trying to bridge that gap because I th- think it's a, cri- a really critical one. John, as you know, as you collect data up front and as you uh, uh, as you try to identify the, the relevant information that, that's going to be, you know, germane to the case, um, that can be the most critical process a lot of times because that's where you can find a lot of the, the uh, data and cost reductions up front, which save right. you a huge amount of money down the line. So. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for joining us today, John. Orange Legal Technologies has long been one of our good friends in the industry, and your expertise and friendship have meant a lot to John and I. We thank you for joining us and giving our listeners the benefit of your prophetic remarks. Thank you for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. Great working with you and uh, you, you and uh, John all the time. That does it for this edition of Digital Detectives. And remember, you can subscribe to all editions of this podcast at LegalTalkNetwork.com or on iTunes. And you can find more about Sensei's Computer Forensics, Technology, or Security Services at www.senseient.com. We'll see you next time on Digital Detectives. The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer. Thanks for listening to Digital Detectives on the Legal Talk Network. Check out some of our other podcasts on LegalTalkNetwork.com and in iTunes.